This episode of Dear Asian Americans is brought to you by the Quarter Pounder with Cheese from McDonald's. It's QPC time. Did your mouth just water? The QPC is the burger that breaks the norms of etiquette, the burger that napkins were made for, the burger that's saucy, drippy, oozing with flavor, always cooked when you order. So the next time you want a mouth-watering burger, order the QPC from McDonald's. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Dearest Americans. Happy Pride Month. Uh, Pride Month is the month of June where we celebrate our LGBTQIA plus friends and community, uh, obviously, particularly those who identify as Asian American. And so to help us kick off our, our series of episodes where we celebrate our friends within the Asian American LGBTQ community, today we are so excited to share this conversations that we had with Great American director Andrew Ahn, uh, whose latest film, uh, Fire Island, dropped today, June 3rd, on Hulu. Uh, it features an amazing uh, story of uh, growing up, love, friends, and all the things that make life wonderful, uh, starting some amazing Asian American titans of entertainment like Margaret Cho, Bowen Yang, Joe Kim Booster, and so many others. It's particularly important that we want to share this story because it is one of the uh, most prominent uh, movies that have been created by gay Asian Americans, both in front and behind the camera. And so we want to thank Andrew for sharing his story and the story of how he came to be uh, and to becoming one of our most uh, prolific and amazing film directors of our community now. And uh, to all of our friends uh, who made this uh, interview possible, thank you. And um it's so exciting to be able to share this with you. Um, Andrew and I shared many laughs and many resonant stories as we talked and laughed and had a great time. And so uh, please make some time this weekend. Fire Island is the name of the movie. It is on Hulu. And without further ado, here is my conversation with director Andrew Ahn. Welcome back to the Asian Americans, everybody. Uh, happy Pride Month as we continue to celebrate all of Asian America and the beautiful intersectionalities and the beautiful communities that make up all of us. Today, I am so excited to share this conversation with a Korean American filmmaker. His name is Andrew Ahn. And uh, by the time you're hearing this, you can head over to Hulu and watch his latest film, which is called Fire Island. Um, but that wasn't his first film. He's been making films and going to uh, film festivals and getting our stories out, both in the Asian American community and the LGBTQ community for a very long time. And so uh, really excited to share this conversation and uh, welcome Andrew on to the Asian Americans. Hi, Andrew. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Good. You must, uh, you were probably having a very busy week of doing interviews and doing press for what we believe to be an amazing and, and perhaps even a movie with historical significance for a, a cast that is headlined by, directed by, and just everything that involves uh, Asian American uh, folks in the LGBTQ community. And so we'll start off before we talk about you a little bit. Um, how are you feeling this week with all that's all the emotion that's coming? We're just wrapping up as we're talking today, uh, May, which is our month. And then Pride Month is all, you know, we we sort of, you know, uh, intersect there as well. What's how are you feeling and how are you processing all the things or have you even had time to process it all? Yeah, I, it is. It is really cool. Uh, the moment that I'm having, uh, you know, it's really significant for me to make a film like Fire Island and to get it out there. And it's also really cool that it's, you know, it's uh, the intersection of 
Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month and and then also Pride Month. There's that like Stephen Yun gif that goes around each year. That's like I'm gay, I'm Asian, and I'm unstoppable. <laughs> um, and I just I really love um, yeah. There's like kind of a culmination of of things happening right now. I am very tired. <laughs> I am um, very like ready for the film to get out there and for people to see it you know it's that odd period of time when like the trailer's out and like there's a lot of press about it but like the movie's not out so like i'm just it's a lot of anticipation <laughs> um I, I think it's wonderful man and like i said I, I think it is really um what what a beautiful time and you know amidst of all the challenging times that we we're going through that we can celebrate you and bowen and joel and margaret and all the other cast members just being authentically yourselves in roles that were perhaps perfectly written for them um, and not having to play other people or pretend to be somebody else. And obviously we here at the show and I genuinely believe in just being ourselves as much as we can and telling our stories. And so uh, really excited to learn how director Andrew on came to be um, to help us understand sort of how this happened in 2022. Let's roll back the clock a little bit. Um, how did the on family become Korean American? Um, where'd you guys move to? How old were you uh, or when you were born here? Tell us a little bit about the early days of Andrew's life. Yeah, <laughs> I love that we're going like real, real far back. Um, I am the son of uh, immigrant parents. Uh, my parents came to the U.S. in the late 70s, and it was a bit of a kind of back and forth for a little while. Uh, my mom uh, was a flight attendant for Korean Air, oh. um, and Los Angeles was part of her route. And she really loved LA and saw, I think, as many Koreans at that time, you know, saw uh, a, a lot of opportunity. And so uh, my mom came here first um, and uh, came with her family, but uh, she had already married my dad. Uh, but my dad stayed behind in Korea for a little longer and then came over uh, right before my brother was born. And they, uh, you know, raised us in South Bay, Los Angeles. So I grew up in Hawthorne and Torrance and Redondo Beach, which uh, are famously you know, very Asian American places. Uh, South Bay has been home to a, a very vibrant Asian American, specifically Japanese American community for uh, many decades. And I grew up, you know, with a gigantic group of Asian American friends, you know, like that was uh, really cool for me. And I don't know, uh, like how aware of that I was at the time, like that it was really special because it wasn't until years later, like in college where people, you know, Asian American friends of mine would say like, oh, like I grew up in a very white town, you know? Um, and I realized that like they had a very different relationship to their Asian Americanness than I did. And, um, and in many ways I, I recognized the privilege that, you know, I have growing up in a space that really embraced 
Asian American identity, you know, um, like I remember as like a middle schooler, like going to like Norebang, like after school, like with my friends, karaoke, if you don't speak Korean. Um, and so it was just a really uh, like fun uh, community to grow up in. And I was, you know, kind of your typical, like annoying, like goody two shoes. I was pretty straight laced and you know, I like wanted to do really well in school and, you know, I studied hard and I like totally thought I was going to become a doctor. And then I went to Brown, um, you know, was a bio major and then very quickly realized like, oh, I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. <laughs> this is not me. Um, I am going to um, disappoint my parents very shortly. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so much residence there, man. Uh, we live in Hawthorne now. And so we're, we're very oh, familiar cool. with the area. Um, but I grew up in Fullerton, which is probably more Korean than Torrance. And so um, I, I agree with this sort of interesting Korean-American identity where we're not othered, right? It's, it's You are othered, but not perhaps in the same way that our friends who grew up in the Midwest might feel about being the only, right? right? I mean, I think in 92, when we immigrated here, like the school sent letters home in English and Korean. And so like, that was just how many Koreans there were. And I mean, props to the school district for recognizing that and like wanting to communicate with the parents in a meaningful way. And so, yeah, I'm very familiar with the area. And, um, you know, uh, you can probably give Chloe Kim a good run for the most famous Korean-American to come out of the region. We're not done yet, right? Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you guys can work on something together. Uh, just putting it out to the universe. That would be wonderful. She's got some gold medals that I don't have. <laughs> hey, you, you might get some hardware. You know, like I said, you got a long, long, long uh, horizon ahead of you. Where does filmmaking and where does the creativity outlet come into this, right? And and I think, you know, you just mentioned you had a, you know, I don't want to say there's a typical, but, you know, a, a pretty resonant Korean-American upbringing where, like, we eat the foods we eat, we have the friends that we have, we language is not foreign to us. And, you know, but you certainly, at least from a, you know, objective perspective, like you said, you wanted to become a doctor and your parents probably said, go to a, you know, a fancy Ivy League school. So you did. And you went to Brown, like... Yes, we can draw a line from that experience to what you're doing now, because we can draw a line from any two points. But, you know, share with us sort of, you know, was the creative part was, you know, um, also sort of understanding how your identity played into that career path when you realized that you didn't want to do that anymore. Share with us a little bit about sort of how creativity and your identity played a role through that period and what happened in college that helped you pivot away from that traditional path that our parents, you know, almost uh, created for us. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I always thought of myself as like a pretty academic person. Um, but in retrospect, I should have realized that, you know, I, I was cultivating a sense of, of creativity, you know, uh, like I played piano as a kid and, and I, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think maybe, Korean American parents don't always realize like that's that is an art form, you know. And I uh, I, I really loved it, and and it was something that I continued for many years. Um, and and then maybe more directly, like like my parents actually like uh, being you know in Los Angeles, like uh, they enrolled me in like an acting class as a kid, wow. you know, and I like did some voiceover gigs and, you know, I was on a TV show, like, you know, it was just something I think fun. And, and I think my parents being Korean American immigrants, like they have a kind of 
entrepreneurial kind of philosophy and, and, uh, they liked that I was, you know, doing something that I was interested in. Um, but it always felt like a hobby maybe as a child and not necessarily like a career. Uh, and it wasn't until I got to college where I realized like, Oh, like this expected career of mine, you know, to go and be a doctor, like that's not for me. Like I need to find a new career and you know my love for the arts my love for film you know felt like uh like an exciting opportunity you know i remember as a kid like i would go to like the warehouse and like blockbuster video and like my parents and i would uh like rent you know uh like three vhs's and like watch them over the weekend and my brother often got to pick the movie, uh, you know, but, you know, it, for me, that was a big part of my, you know, youth. And so when I got to college, I started taking film classes because I just was like, oh, I get to watch movies for homework. Like, that's great. Like, that's easy, you know. And then I uh, started taking production classes and like got to, you know, get my hands on a camera and I just found myself uh, like so in love with it and, and spending more time doing these filmmaking assignments than I was, you know, like spending time on my immunology homework, you know? And, and I remember like being in the edit room for a short film I was making, you know, my senior year and it was like five in the morning. And I was like, this like went by so quickly. Like I have loved all of this, you know, like I stayed up not because I was like afraid of the grade I was going to get, but because I wanted to like make something cool and beautiful. So that for me was like a, a real sign that like, Oh, like maybe this is something I can do, you know, for the rest of my life. And, you know, I, I think when we look at your career as, as a filmmaker, you know, we get to see, I mean, I think with most creative people, we we celebrate you for the achievements, but, you know, we have to look at sort of your earlier work to really understand what your motivations were. And, and as we all do, you know, our creative outlets are an expression of the things that we want to have in the world. And therefore we create it because we don't see it in the way that we, we vision it ourselves. Um, one of the first films that, that you took on the film circuit and, you know, did well was in 2012 called Tol. Uh, Tol is our traditional Korean word for first birthday. And and you've shared that, you know, this was more than just the film about sharing our culture or sharing your own experiences. This was your way to come out to your parents through an expressive work to say, hey, that is my experience. And tell us about the decision to do that. I mean, did you, was it out of a a thought process of difficulty having just a normal conversation? Obviously, even it's only 10 years ago, culture was different. I think the way that I'm using broad terms here, but even just our first generation Korean American immigrant community sees uh, LGBTQ issues or identity um, has evolved. But um, tell us about that process and, and what it meant to finally have that work come out. And I mean, you got so many damn awards. It's like, <laughs> you know, people loved it, right? Um, I, I think it's wonderful because it was, you in that moment of our culture and the identity and the meaning and the purpose, um, just such an alignment of all, all the wonderful stars in the world. 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned kind of how far our community has come, you know, the Korean American community in terms of embracing LGBTQ, um, you know, members of our, our family. Um, it, you know, I, I think there's still a long ways to go, but it, there was something about that moment. You know, I made that film in 2000 and man, uh, 2011. And, you know, I remember living in Los Angeles in 2008 and Prop 8 happened. And there was a statistic about how many Korean Americans did not support gay marriage. And I joined a, um, a grassroots organization called Q, Koreans uh, United for Equality. And, you know, I was doing this all as a closeted Korean American, you know, I was living at home with my parents, uh, but I wasn't out to them. Uh, and um, I would like go out to West Hollywood to meet up with gay friends, but like tell my parents I was going to Pinkberry, you know, <laughs> it's such a cultural. I, I mean, Pinkberry wasn't West Hollywood, right? So it wasn't. <laughs> it's true. Exactly. I wasn't totally lying, but um but yeah, you know, I made that short film because I had very judiciously, you know, kept my family out of my gay life, you know, and I realized that, you know, if I ever wanted to have a family, like if I ever uh, wanted to have a long term partner and potentially have a child that I would have to come out to my parents, you know, and, and that was something that I, it, it kind of dawned on me that I couldn't keep this up forever. And um, the first step was to come out to my parents. And so I kind of took the story of the short film and applied it to my actual life. And I cast my parents in the movie without telling them what it was about, and then decided to show them the movie to come out to them in this hope that you know, they would see everything happening to my main character and like realize that that was, you know, a stand in for me. Um, it, it, it's it's a it's a really odd thing to do in a way <laughs> like um, and I remember, you know, showing my parents the movie and coming out to them and um, and they, you know, my mom told me she was like, oh, like you made this movie to do this? And I said, yeah. And she was like, oh, like, you know, I, I don't think you had to do all that. <laughs> you know. And, and I, I, but I, I think that to a certain extent, like, you know, coming out, it's such a personal process and you kind of just have to do it the way that you have to do it, you know? Um, and so that for me felt like a really big personal step, you know, um, both as, a human being, but also as, as a filmmaker. And then weirdly, you know, I, I came out to my parents uh, with that film, but then uh, with the same film, I ended up kind of coming out to the world because a couple months after, you know, finishing tour, I found out that it got into the Sundance Film Festival. And as part of the festival, you know, press, they asked me to, you know, write a piece about uh, the inspiration for the short film. And I wrote about how 
I, you know, used it to come out to my parents and the Sundance press office really loved it. They published it to the Huffington post. And then I realized like, Oh, I, I haven't just come out to my parents. I just came out to the world. You know, it's on the internet. Like that's, that's forever. And, and I think that for me was really exciting and, and just felt like, like, Oh, like I'm, I'm becoming whole, you know, like I am gay. I'm Korean American. People know that like, I don't have to pretend or hide in as many spaces as I, uh, as I once was. You know, in, in that Huffington Post article, um, you, you share a quote and it is super, super resonant in, in terms of our our relationship with our parents, right? I think we sometimes as children of immigrant parents make up in worst case scenarios in our head of how our parents will react to certain news or we, I mean, I'm almost 40 and I still think about what's am I going to think? And I'm like, <laughs> no, you have like, you're, I have two kids of my own. Why am I, you know, but it's just the way that we're, we're, we're trained to think. Uh, you, you share a quote where you said your father texted you, you know, congratulations. I'm very happy for you. I am very proud of you. I know you will do good and find the right way for you. And in, you know, you said, I hate to say, it, but you needed the validation. And, you know, I, I too had a, a recent moment where, you know, I was invited to the white house for the official APAM celebration. And my dad said the exact same thing. And it was both the combination of, I am happy that you found the work that makes you happy, which I think is a realization that perhaps that's letting us find our own path. They had come to the realization that that was their job all along and not nudging and, you know, uh, encouraging us to do something that they found was the right way. And then two, just being proud of us, which I think, and, and again, many of our listeners, maybe you resonate, maybe you don't, but like, I don't know, man, like getting a Korean dad to say those words, like big deal. Right. Um, but, I, I agree. Yeah. But it's almost, and you know, if parents are listening, like say these words before your son gets the film accepted into Sundance, before your son gets invited to the White House, because, you know, we also have this joke in our community, right? Like your parents don't accept your fame until you're in the Korean newspaper, because that's only <laughs> when your mom's church friends get to read about you. Right. And, and so we have these things and, the ways that we have to almost convince our own parents of our objective success or the, the recognition that we're getting, it needs to make sense to them, right? Because I think it's also resonant to the world that they live in, right? Like, because they don't know the terminology that we know, right? Because it's a whole new world to them. And, you know, they worked hard so that we could have these opportunities. So from there, um, that was all, you know, the, the first sort of your you know, as you said, you know, coming out to your parents, coming out to the world with this highly celebrated film that anchored the story of perhaps your life of, of a gay Korean American going to Denise's first birthday. Now with Fire Island, you're marking yet another chapter in your illustrious career where you are working with perhaps the most famous, most recognized and most celebrated and loved you know, gay Asian Americans in film of multiple generations, right? Because I mean, hell, I, I'm almost 40 and like Margaret Cho was a big deal when I was a kid, right? Because my parents know, our parents know her, right? And, and, and so how did this project come about and, and how did you get involved? Because yes, it's meaningful in the moment, but I think looking back at it genuinely, I, I think it's going to be a film 
that is more meaningful than perhaps some of the other Asian American films that we've collectively celebrated over the last few years, which has their own part in bringing us to the forefront. But this is a part of our Asian American community that for so long wasn't celebrated, wasn't tolerated, and was, you know, made to keep quiet. And now it's front and center and it is being hopefully accepted by all that at least there's some resonance there because the story isn't uniquely, you know, gay. It's about being accepted. It's about finding love. It's about being othered and self-identity and how all of that plays into, you know, this human story of, of sorts. And so without giving away the movie, tell us sort of how this, how did this get started and, and how did you get involved with the film? Yeah. You know, uh, I came out of that, you know, short film experience, like really ready to go. Like I was like, okay, like I want to be a filmmaker like for my life, you know? And I made my first feature called Spa Night, which is a gay Korean American story. And um, Joel Kim Booster, he watched the film and, you know, it really resonated with him. And he reached out to me on Twitter and just wanted to, get to know me and I wanted to get to know him. I had seen, you know, some of his standup at that point and thought he was super talented and funny. And, you know, I loved chatting with him because he felt so like chill, you know, and, and um, we just kept in touch, you know, kind of throughout the years at that point, he hadn't had the idea to fire Island yet. And, uh, you know, cut to a couple of years later and, he sends me the script for Fire Island and and I think it's like so beautiful and, you know, really touching. Um, obviously, like super funny. He's a comedian, like this is a rom-com, but I was really struck by, you know, how much heart it had. And that's something that I really love to put into my work. Um, you know, I received the script for the feature like a year into the pandemic and at that point, I hadn't seen my friends in a long time, you know, hadn't gone out to a club or a bar to like drink and be stupid. And and I saw in Joel's script, like, you know, so much of what I was missing in my life. And I love that it focused on queer Asian American friendship. You know, Spawnite, that's a very solo perspective of being gay and Korean American. You know, it's it's one young man's kind of coming of age with fire Island. I was like, Oh my God, like there are two queer Asian Americans at the center of this and they're, they're good friends and they're really different too. Like, and they're played by Joel Kim Booster and Bowen Yang. Like I just was like, Oh, this is so cool. Like what an opportunity that I haven't gotten to explore in my film work, but is such a big part of my life. Like I have a big group of gay Asian American friends in Los Angeles, you know, I lived with uh, four other gay Asian American guys in a house called 321. We had stupid house parties, you know, like I really wanted to to do this movie for them, you know, and, and to celebrate, you know, my friendships. And so I came on board, you know, I had a pitch for it, you know, and it was a little nerve wracking because I really wanted to do it. And I was very glad that Searchlight believed in in me, that Joel and the producers believed in me. And, you know, uh, I, I have a joke that every project I touch kind of turns a little bit more gay and Asian, you know, just by my involvement. 
And this film, you know, it just got gayer and more Asian. You know, we cast Margaret Cho as our, you know, kind of mother hen of this group of queer vacationers. And she, yeah, she's just such an inspiration, right? Like, it's so funny. Like you mentioned, like your parents know who Margaret Cho is. Like my parents know who Margaret (laughs) Cho is. Like we all watched All American Girl together, you know, like, like that was a really special, you know, moment in like Korean American history. And like Joel talks about how you can draw a direct line from All American Girl to Fire Island. And if it wasn't for, you know, her show, like him watching her on TV, seeing someone, you know, who is Korean American and queer, like doing what she's doing, like we, we might not have gotten a Fire Island. And that to me feels, you know, it's just so cool that Margaret wanted to be a part of this project and support another generation of queer Asian American talent. You know, it's, it's really special. I think from the outside, um, at least, I mean, with that role, like, I don't know who else we could have cast, right? Like, it's just (laughs) because she's been such an advocate, right? And then she's, she plays that role perfectly, right? Like, were there some memorable conversations that happened on set with y'all about the changes in our community, the Asian American community, and perhaps with Margaret specifically, our Korean American community about the way that we celebrate our LGBTQ friends now more and then some of the challenges that she had growing up and and what you're all hopeful for with the project like Fire Island that can you know um give yet another amazing piece of work to openly celebrate it, to talk about it and ultimately to normalize it because we know and you mentioned earlier when when Prop 8 was happening and circulating it was painful to see you know certain parts of our community um you know and, and there are certain correlation there to where you grew up and what folks do on Sundays, let's just say, to trying to erase the existence and the rights to live and to love for people that we knew are personal friends. And and that, you know, the the impact and the influence of that culture is still very, you know, relevant in our communities, uh, not just Korean, but across the board. And I, I wonder if, are there things that you are uh, okay with sharing about some of the things that y'all talked about off the set? Yeah. You know, I remember when I first chatted with Margaret about the movie, we were on Zoom and, you know, she was telling me these amazing stories about her time on Fire Island. And it it was just, you know, like the most ridiculous stories, uh, one of which got written into the movie. So Mm. for for listeners out there, there's a dinner conversation uh, and that scene is inspired by an actual story of Margaret's, Um, you know, and then we we talked about how special it was that this was a queer Asian American project. And and she talked about this concept of sticky rice, you know, and like our community, like clinging to each other. And I think it's really fun and beautiful. And, you know, Margaret was such an inspiration for me, uh, even making my first feature spa night, like I remember reading um, uh, an article that she had written um, about how she got kicked out of a Korean spa because of her tattoos. You know, some older Korean women were judging her for how she expresses her, you know, art 
like on her body and um and the spa manager asked her to leave before realizing who margaret was and then was very apologetic but you know <laughs> margaret wrote that um you know i think members of the korean american community sometimes want to police like who gets to be korean and how you know and what I loved about what Margaret wrote in that piece was that when people try and take it away from her, like she fights for it, you know, she wants that connection to, you know, her Korean identity and, and it's the fight that makes, that makes it Korean, you know, like it's the, it's, it's not any objective thing. It's the want, it's the desire. Um, and that to me uh, was so meaningful and really, you know, gave me a different way to think about, you know, how I can be both gay and Korean at the same time. And so, you know, uh, we had a, a lot of really like fun, meaningful conversations. Um, we had a lot of stupid, you know, funny conversations. Each of the members of the cast, you know, had a moment with Margaret at some point, you know, uh, Joel had a one-on-one -on -one with her and Bowen and Matt Rogers and, you know, uh, one of our castmates, uh, Tomas Matos, like Margaret gifted them a bunch of clothes, you know, <laughs> like, just because Tomas would look fabulous in them. So it's just a really cool, you know, experience where like, you know, she's the mother figure in the movie, but was very much the mother figure for us you know, on set. And I just, uh, you know, I'm really inspired by how, you know, she wants to support this next generation of Asian Americans. You know, that for me feels like something that I, you know, have to, I have to do in my own career as well. And, and I think it's going to be very impactful. Again, I think overall for Asian Americans to have yet another film that we can call our own you know it's on hulu so it's going to be widely available and accessible and and god i wish we weren't saying this in 2022 but you can watch it from the safety of your home <laughs> and, and not have to go into a movie theater you know and, and all you know but i think also even specifically that it is about and it features you know both in front and behind the camera people of the gay asian community that again i think about the way that margaret cho was framed for me growing up and it was like it's cool that she's visible, but like, she, I mean, I don't know what words my parents use, but it wasn't with the nicest of like inviting tones, right? Like she was still like different, odd, weird, whatever, right? Or, you know, they would say things like, God, why does she have to be like that, right? Like, and, and mm -hmm. I think looking back, perhaps even subconsciously, it, it helped me redefine or accept the fact that we can define Korean American however the hell we want, yeah. right? And I think you're right, this gatekeeping that we have in our community where we treat our mixed race Korean friends differently. We treat our adoptee Koreans differently. We treat our gay Korean friends differently. Why? Where yeah. is it rooted in this expectation of behavior and acceptance? And then I really hope that our generation stops that, right? In the way that we raise our collective children of our next generation, and we have these conversations, that we let people be whoever the hell they want to be. Because anything else is just rooted in hate. And, and so I, I love what you have done. I am so excited for where you are going with all of this, um, I, I can just sense, Andrew, just the, the joy that you have of talking about this and talking about the experience. And, and I know that the, the road that's led you here 
means that you've had a lot of tough conversations with yourself, with your friends, with your family about what it means to be you ultimately, but being able to use your privilege and platform to tell specific Asian American stories that even I can't tell, right? Because it's not my lived experience. And so I'm so happy for you. I am grateful for you. I, I am grateful that we got to do this. If you're listening to this, please watch the movie, please share it out. And I, I think it's, you know, share it with your kids, right? Like normalize that this is what our uncles look like. This is what our, you know, <laughs> aunt, aunties look like, right? And and again, I, I think about the way that a lot of these things were framed for me growing up and I had to do a lot of unlearning, right? Because um, I was raised in the church environment to, and then to, you know, talk to think about certain people in a different way. And so as we wrap the show, Andrew, uh, the name of our show is Dear Asian Americans. It is, in essence, a love letter to us from us and to help us encourage, inspire, and to motivate us into doing whatever we feel is authentic to ourselves. And so if you could help us finish out the show and, and you know, uh, write or speak a letter to our community of anything that you find inspirational that you want to say, and maybe perhaps it is to a younger Andrew somewhere singing his heart out in a Norabang somewhere in Southern California, or, you know, another young gay Asian person who does not yet feel confident or safe, sadly, to live their authentic lives. And so, uh, Andrew, on, help us finish out the show and complete the letter. Dear Asian Americans. Dear Asian Americans, I think that what makes our community so beautiful are our differences uh, and that uh, we should celebrate what makes us different as opposed to use it against each other. You know, for the queer Asian Americans out there, I am so excited to add to the the art that exists about our community you know and and to work with queer asian americans on the film like joel kim booster and bo and yang and margaret cho and conrad ricamora these amazing artists who have worked really hard to show us how talented and funny, you know, our community can be. I hope that, you know, my work, I hope that Fire Island inspires us to continue to tell even more stories. And, you know, I'm so happy to support, you know, these future films, TV shows, books, art in general. I am just so, uh, ready for us to be out there in a really big way. Just say hi to me if you see me <laughs> on the street. <laughs> um, we often use the term trailblazers in our community to recognize people who have done things that haven't been done before. I, I think in on the surface, it's a nice rewarding term, but I wish we didn't have to, mm -hmm. right? And I wish we didn't have to talk about the community so much from a source of, from a point of wanting to protect ourselves, but you, Margaret, Joel, Colin, Bowen, everybody have blazed yet another part of the trail so that the next person has it a little bit easier time. And this is my practical ask to everybody who's listening. The only way that there's another fire island is we have to make this a success. Right, we have to show Searchlight. We have to show Hulu. We have to show uh, American media that a gay Asian movie is relatable, 
not just to the gay Asians, but to all of us. And and we have to show with our dollars and our attention and our actions that this movie and the next one and the one after that will always be a good, smart, not only human decision, but a business decision. Whether you agree with me or not, that's not the point. This is the way that we, you know, we live in, we live in a capitalist society and movies need to make money and people need to get paid and we want to put money back into the community. And so please support uh, not just Fire Island, but all the work that Andrew and all the amazing uh, cast, the people behind the movie, um, that's how they're going to judge if there should be another gay Asian movie. And so I'll, I'll say this, like, I, if you don't like Fire Island, <laughs> that's totally fine. But if you, if you do love Fire Island, be loud about your, your love yes. for it to make up for the fact that some people might not be so into it. But yes, I am, I, I, I do hope that there are more Fire Islands, you know, like that, that to me would be the most uh, important indication of success of our movie is that there are more movies that come out of it. And on a final note, I don't know if you listen to this show, Chloe Kim or not, but maybe somebody who knows Chloe, Andrew is ready to make a movie with you. I would love that. Let's do it. Let's put it into the universe. Let's make it happen. Andrew, thank you so much. And, And to the team behind the scenes for making this possible. Thank you very much. For, for being flexible and to make this happen. Best of luck this Friday. Congratulations on all your success. And I am so happy for you. And I can't wait to uh, hang out in person soon, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. All right, everybody. Happy Pride Month. And we'll see you next time. Bye now. Thanks again to Andrew for making time uh, during what has been an extremely busy time for him uh, to share with us his story and the story of Fire Island and why it is important to support uh, not just all Asian American creators and you know filmmakers, actors, uh, but I'll personally add that I think it is our duty and our obligation and our joy to be able to uplift the stories from uh, the more marginalized, the intersectionalities that exist, communities of intersectionalities that exist within our wonderful Asian American community. And so, again, big thanks to Andrew, uh, big thanks to Nita and the folks over at the market uh, for uh, coordinating the behind the scenes effort so that we can get this conversation out to you. Again, uh, Fire Island is out on Hulu now, June 3rd today. And big thanks to um, our friends at McDonald's for the support of this episode. Go get yourself a QPC this weekend while you watch Fire Island. I think that's pretty awesome. And I continue to uh, wish you health, happiness, um, safety. You know, it has been a challenging time for many. And of course, uh, COVID's still here and cases are rising. You know, as we turn, um, I guess, you know, uh, walk away from another May, uh, thinking about what it means to be Asian American uh, at work, at home, at school, with our families, with our friends. Um, It has been truly my honor to share our stories with you and we will continue to do so. And so if you want to uh, connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Dear Asian Americans. If you want to listen to past episodes, obviously listen to us where you're listening to this episode right now on Apple, Spotify and elsewhere. You can go to DearAsianAmericans.com if you want to learn more about the show. And if you want to connect with me, I am very visible on LinkedIn, or you can find me on all those links at JerryWan.com or on Instagram at JerryJWan. Signing off on this episode 151 with Andrew On, director of Fire Island. I am your host, Jerry Wan. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I wish you health, safety, and happiness.